Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foot. Welcome into Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. Broadcasting live from the FCO. Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3-133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706-0111-706-0111. If you would like to get in, the NBA season could end very soon. We'll see. And, of course, you know me. I, I They haven't even won yet, and they're already talking about whether the Nuggets are going to be a dynasty. Like, they've never won one. They have zero. They have the same amount of world NBA World Championships than I do, and I can't do anything. And they haven't even won it yet. And they're already talking about a dynasty. It just, I just don't understand why that has to be the next step before they even finish. Like, why don? Like, how about they figure out how to get to the finals two years in a row and avoid a medicine season? Because, you know, they're going to be in position for a medicine season. A medicine season is when you've not, and when you've done something that you haven't done in a long, long time. Or ever, and chances are you're going to take at least one step back the next year. It's just not saying it's a hundred percent, but like very few teams avoid medicine season. Like there, this is a classic medicine season uh, team, and so you know, do they have some great players? No question, they've got two great players. Do they have a couple of good complimentary players? Absolutely. But but to say that they're like looking like a t- I don't know what's any different about them than any other team that wins a, a, a title for the first time. Every every team that wins a title for the first time has good players. It, it's just. I don't know. I just don't understand that mentality of, okay, we got to go from that to, oh, are they a dynasty? Well, a dynasty. Like, let, let's have them get to the finals two years in a row. Their, chances are they will not overcome their medicine season. That's the problem when you don't understand sports. and you. That's why people, I think, go off into these crazy tangents because they just don't get it. Uh, super regional weekend. It, it's kind of a shame and I don't look, I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other. Okay, I really don't. I I thought initially when I was in Miami that you know, why are we delaying a game when it's not raining and it's not lightning? Well, they wanted to avoid starting and stopping and it once the regional was played, it was kind of hard to argue with how they did it because it kind of worked out. Well, it, it didn't seem to work out as well over the weekend in Baton Rouge. But, I mean, uh, 
you know, it's just kind of a shame that most of the conversation was dominated by that. And and I get it. I mean, it, it sometimes it's hard to grasp why they're doing this and who's doing what and for what reasons and all that. I mean, I you know, it, it, the bottom line is the games were played for the most part. And I got to give it to Dawson. He was right about Oral Roberts. It was a good series. I thought it would be good. You know, I followed it on my phone just to see who was winning. I didn't watch the games. But um, it, it, that was the that and the Texas Stunford series were the two most difficult. Texas Stunford by far the most difficult. And I got Oral Roberts Oregon wrong, and I, I certainly not upset about it. I mean, I, I I think it's cool when somebody like Oral Roberts gets to the to the final to the World Series, and it's um I think it's great for college baseball. I really do. And I remember when the when the brackets came out, when the regional fields were announced, and we looked, Dawson and I looked at it, and they said, which one do we think is the, the toughest regional, the deepest regional? And I think we nailed it. We both said Oklahoma, the Oklahoma State, and the four seed out of it made it to the World Series. So I think that kind of made that right. So – I don't know that there was anything else. I don't even know that that was that surprising because I don't think any of us thought Oregon was this juggernaut that couldn't be beat possibly. So that was mildly surprising. Uh, But I don't know that anything else was surprising this weekend. No, and you said you didn't watch it. You followed it. That was probably right because then you didn't have to see the awful uniforms that Oregon rolled out every week. And I said that earlier. I'm just so over the Oregon uniform thing. Um, It just doesn't look good. Um, But anyway. You know, I th- or that was that was a fantastic series. I mean, and and the, to to be up eight nothing in game one, the way Oral Roberts was when you're the underdog and you're on the road and you you now you say blow the lead. They didn't blow the lead all at once. They just Oregon just chipped away over the course of the last six innings of the game. Scored three here, two here, one here. Ended up tying it up and then ultimately walking it off. To lose that game nine to eight when you felt like you you know you had it, yeah. And then come back and win game two when you're down by the way in the ninth inning and have to walk it off down a run. And then come back again in Game Three when you used all that pitching in Game One, all that pitching in Game Two. No, I mean, they're a, just battle. No, it was a that was a that was that was that was certainly impressive. Um, you know, the Wake Game One score for Alabama and Wake was closer than I expected it to be. <laughs> the Game Two score went whoa, totally in the other direction. Um, I mean, I guess there were maybe one or two of those series that went three that I thought might get swept but I mean other than that it it was it was all uh about like we thought two very interesting matchups today to see what's gonna happen and I think good series I mean I would say two of the top two of the three or four more unpredictable of all the super regional matchups and I don't know I picked Tennessee just because I just didn't know uh Southern Met Miss just depth wise but they're obviously a seasoned team. I don't know what to think of that game now after the first two games were played. No, I don't either. Well, and now there's serious doubt, or at least maybe not doubt, but concern about whether they're going to be playing it as scheduled today because the weather looks bad again. And, you know, Southern Miss is going to throw Nico Mazza, who threw against the Cajuns in the Sun Belt Championship game and was very good and then pitched again in the regionals, seemed to pitch okay there. So they have a guy. It's not like they're out of pitching. Um, now, how much do they have behind him? We'll see. But. 
you know, I, yeah, that one's been intriguing, and, and there's a, that was a lot of that was the big, you know, who's hosting and everybody throwing a fit about it, and then there was a lot of weather issues throughout the weekend. So both teams in kind of an interesting spot now. After also Southern Miss is up, they were they're up one zero in the series, and they're up four nothing with Tanner Hill on the mound, and you think it's over, and then he gives up six runs in the third inning, which probably hasn't, which not probably it hasn't happened to him in his entire season. So that was all surprising, but yeah, no, the other series, by the way, that went. You know, TCU was technically facing an, a higher-seeded team, but, of course, they were hosting and they were hot. I think we kind of figured that's how that yeah. was going to go. Indiana State actually pitched really well and held t- – you know, they didn't let no, them blow up. No, those games were competitive. I Four agree. to one in the first yeah. game, but they just didn't have enough offense. I would have been very surprised at Indiana State won, but, um, you know, I thought they quitted themselves pretty well. So that they um, – that, that was good. As far as the other one – do we make too much of throwing pitchers, too many pitches, or do you think that's a really accurate or on 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 the nose criticism? Yeah, I don't know. I I'm sure different doctors will tell you different things, but like I've never. There's no definitive way to tell when a guy's going to get hurt or not, and guys get hurt. Guys, by the way, especially now when guys get to college and stuff. Now, how are they handled in travel ball and stuff? Who knows, but. Guys are babied from the time they get to competitive high school and at times college baseball all the way through the pros, and they have Tommy John all the time every single year. Yes. So I, when you're throwing, when guys, it, it depends, I think, and the science is not clear on it, depends on how hard they're throwing, how many high-stress innings they're involved with. I don't know if you can definitively say one thing or the other, and so I don't ever question one coach's you know decision-making over the next unless – you have legit athletic trainers from those teams who are saying I don't this I don't agree with it I, I don't know I just think it's so hard we we have this idea now that since everyone only throws guys 95 110 pitches that that's right but do we have any evidence that says that that's the case I guess maybe I mean Nolan Ryan s- once threw Nolan Ryan pitched for 25 years and once threw over 200 innings in a game so I mean 200 pitches, pitches yeah. in a game so like and he but you could say well he's just a physical marvel and he was I guess still is because he's alive. But as as a player, I mean, he was a physical marvel. So maybe you could say, well, he's just the exception. But a lot of the old guys say they they that babying makes it worse, not better. So I again, I'm not a physical therapist. I, I'm base. I don't. I'm just going by what people said. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. I just think yeah. And another thing that I see that's that's kind of common, the guy from John Hopkins um, in the in the lower levels pitched um, a bunch, and there was a big outrage on Twitter, and he basically came out and was like, look, it was my last game ever. I'm not pitching in the pros. I told the coach that I was fine, and my arm feels great today, but I don't regret it. It was my last p- collegiate baseball game. I was going to give it everything I had. And, like, especially in those situations, look, if the guy has a pro future and maybe he's concerned about his, you know, health moving forward because he thinks he's going to make a lot of money playing baseball, then I get it. Like that's that's a different situation. But for the guys who are fifth, sixth year seniors who are about to be accountants next year and they want to give everything they have, I don't know why it's this big, you know, fuss about them throwing right. 130 pitches in their last game ever. They're never going to need to pitch again, according to them. Like he's telling you, I'm never going to pitch in a competitive game again. What does it matter if I hurt my arm? <laughs> so those are the ones where I get yeah. like all these other people are so outraged for them. They're like, they're that's you know mistreating the kid. It's like. I don't know. Though I think there's differences. Now, Quinn Matthews, is he going to pitch? And does he have a pro career? Maybe so. So I don't know if that's the same. But that's the Stanford guy who threw 100. Right. And it's yesterday. not like 
it's not like, you know, so many of the stories like, you know, in football and you take all these steroids or, you know, you're in MMA or whatever, some physically just abusive sport and and you just and, – and are you going to be able to walk again for the rest of your life kind of stuff? It's not like that. You know, are you going to be able to function, uh, you know – 20 years from now with your grandkids or whatever, you know, when I'm saying, yeah, kids definitely and grandkids. Different. it's not like that. It's not that situation. So, um, so you're saying there's a good chance Southern Miss Tennessee may not happen today. The forecast would indicate it's dicey and they decided to play it at night. And that was look my thing. I, I get that they probably want that crowd to be raucous and I don't know now, by the way, after what happened in Baton Rouge, I have no idea who makes these decisions anymore and how much coaches can influence them or whatever, if the NCAA is all over it or, or whoever makes the call. But it felt strange to me that they didn't try to start that game earlier and give themselves a bigger window. Now, if you, if you push it to tomorrow, it's not the end of the world. But again, you start, to, you start to now maybe hurt the team that wins because that team's got to think about playing in Omaha in a few days. And we'll see. Maybe, maybe it'll, I mean, again, weather and... Southern part of the U.S. and Hattiesburg, I'm sure, is not all that different from here where the forecast can look pretty grim and it could be great or the other way around. And we saw that again in in Baton Rouge on Saturday. So we'll see, I guess. It should be a pretty nice atmosphere, though, if they play that game in Hattiesburg today. That should be pretty good. All right, we'll take a timeout. We'll be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. It's strange. Over the weekend, I guess it was false because I saw two reports, one supposedly from Tom Pelissero that said that Dalvin Cook signed with the Broncos, but there is there is no evidence of this. Like, where did how did these fake reports get? I I just don't get how they um, just get out there and tweet it out. But anyway, that's the world we live in. So we'll we'll wait and see um, that hap- how that happens. And then now we have Barkley, who's beefing or not seeing eye to eye anyway with the with the Giants on how that should be worked out. We've got the Saints waiting to see what's going to happen with Z28 and how many games he will be suspended and how, you know, how he's going to fit into it. And, you know, we were talking just last week about, you know, I made the comment. It wouldn't shock me. Not necessarily predicting, but I certainly won't be caught off guard if Z28 never plays another down for the Saints again. I don't, I mean, I would not say that that's definitely going to happen or anything close to that, but I'm, I, I'm kind of anything could happen in that situation. And it would not surprise me at all. So, 
it, it, the running back situation continues to get kind of almost murkier and murkier, and I, 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 I I'm just kind of waiting to see if they could pick up someone else. The fact that they haven't acquired someone else with Z28 skill set kind of seems to tell me that they don't think he's going to be suspended for the whole season or most of the season. I, I don't know how he's not going to be. But if not, then why have they not picked up someone with his skill set yet? I, I because they didn't draft anyone with his skill set. So I, I'm still a little confused by that as I hear all of these other running, this running back news coming out, like guys like Cook being released and, and Barkley not seeing eye to eye on his future with his team. So it's it's kind of an interesting scenario there. Again, the game hotline is 706 706-0111. Major League Baseball, we talked quite about Super Regionals in the last segment, but Major League Baseball had an interesting weekend. I remember trying to warn people, I just, I don't feel good about playing the A's. You it, you know, sooner or later they were going to start claiming some of their 54 wins that they got before the season started. They've won five in a row on the road against teams with records over 500. They just beat, they lost the first game of this little road trip out east. They, well, not totally east, because Milwaukee's not really east, but east of the Pacific for sure. So they they, they played Pittsburgh twice, They lost, I mean three times. They lost the first and won the next two. Then they went to Milwaukee and got swept. That's the same Milwaukee outfit that the Astros win, played that stupid game where they scored a million runs on Monday and they got their faces crushed for two games. And uh, so the A's now are just red hot. The A's, they won five in a row. They're pitching. And again, it, it just, there's, it was just hard. You, you never want to play a team that's that had the record that they had. It's just a bad time to be playing because you can't keep playing that bad. This is baseball. Like, sooner or later, you got to claim. I mean, I time will tell whether they claim all 54 of their wins. But, I mean, they're now ahead of the pace of the New York Mets of 1962. They're, they're just ahead of that pace after winning these five games. So they got to start winning some of these games. Uh, maybe it's a good time to play them now because they've won five in a row. But um, man, those were those were six great victories by the Astros to get those before they got hot. Uh, now look, I don't know. Probably a lot of you were focusing on college baseball and other things over the weekend, but the Astros game Friday night in Cleveland was. It sure felt like one of the most agonizing, frustrating games I could ever I can remember in a long time. Like it was if that was game seven of the World Series, it would go down as one of the great games in World Series history. Like it was uh, and I'm going into that series like I go into most series or all series, I guess you'd say 
in that I'm really worried they're about to get swept and get to like five in a row because they, well, that would have been six straight losses. They lost the last three games in Toronto. They were up in all those games and, and couldn't hold it. So they come out. El Perro goes on the DL, or IL, they call it now. And, you know, we're sitting here. Everyone's ready to throw Jose Abreu in the river, in the Mississippi River, just get rid of him. And he hits a three-run homer, and I'm like, yeah, they're up 5-1. to one. Things are going well. And then they blow it two times. They were one pitch away from winning the game. And they gave up hits. Then they had a double play that could have ended the game. And Jeremy Pena steps on second and then throws high to first. I'm like, this is what is going on. And then Altuve hits a line drive that looks like it's going to be a two-run single to give him a three-run lead and I think, the 13th inning. And the left fielder makes this miraculous catch. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And then they lose. And I'm like, they might win. They might lose six in a row here. I'm, I'm really worried. And so then Saturday they come out. They're up 5-1. to one, And then again, they, they didn't give up the lead, but they certainly kind of started hitting at it. And then when they're trying to close it out, they hit it to Bregman. Looks like it's going to be a double play ball. He throws a little off base, and Altuve becomes Altuve. He don't even try for it. Like, what was he doing? Altuve is the most frustrating player ever. Like, there are times when he's great, and then there are times just like, what, Cat, it's not time to pick flowers in, in, in right field. What are you doing? Focus. And he didn't even hardly try. It didn't look like the ball just went by him right into right field. Fortunately, they got the win. So, again, number one priority is don't get swept. They still have not gotten swept. Now, are they playing well right now? No, they're not playing well at all. But they didn't get swept in either series, even though it felt like they did in Toronto. Technically, they did not. So they still haven't been swept. They've got a long way to go. I'm just so glad Mauricio – I was asking Dawson before, can you imagine if Mauricio Dubon of 2022 was play, still playing? Like, this team would be in trouble, right? They would have been in trouble, right? Like, he's really bailed them out. Like, he's not having an MVP season or anything, but he's really played well. He's given them good defensive, you know, ability, and he's getting hits. He's still hitting over 300, I believe. I mean, it's unbelievable what that guy's done. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Morning. What a glorious morning it is. Yeah, you, you, yeah, you, you, your boy called Friday and he was talking about a sweep. Oh, that's what, oh, I heard him laugh. I told him, there. I told him, I, I, I did, I did, I didn't see that coming. I just didn't sense that. Yeah. No, and let's not, let's not forget, we probably got one of the worst pitching staffs in the in the MLB right now. Okay, I mean it's not all that good, and they couldn't, they were struggling to put up runs against us. You know, and a how, how, now how are the Yankees going to win a World Series when you can't even be the last place team? Well, they were playing without their best player, but that doesn't that doesn't mean you have to hit. No, that doesn't mean you have to hit 188 for the series, which I think I saw was the lowest batting average in like five years in a series against the Red Sox. <laughs> and I called it 
foot, I said Aaron Judge is going to get this big contract, and then what's going to happen? He's going to be hurt all the time, you know. And here we are. We re- we visiting that situation right now, you know. You know. But anyway, I had to mess with him a little bit about that, you know, because uh, he said they were going to not only beat my re- ugly socks or red socks or whatever. He said they were going to sweep him, but that, like I like I said, uh, that broom must have had no bristles. You know, because they fall from sweaters. <laughs> but thanks for taking my call, and uh, go Red Sox. All right, take care. Um, yes. By the way, you know me. It's still early June. It's not time to – if you're like 10 or 12 out, you you can still overcome it. It, it. People panic way too early. But But when you are – when you put the money – that the Mets have put into their situation and try to buy a championship. I don't know. it. I could be wrong, but it just seems like that's a more of a volatile situation than a lot of other situations. Like, I'm sure the St. Louis Cardinal fans are all demoyed right now because they're not used to, you know, they, they're not used to this. And they're they're struggling, and and I get it, and then they're not playing well. I get that too, but it's it just seems like the Mets situation is so volatile that they're going to have a tougher time. Now, with all of that said, the Mets are three games out of the playoffs, and it's June. <laughs> I can't. So I understand that in, in Mets land, they probably, you know, they got these, you know, they're probably ready to, to throw in the season and everything's going to be a, everything's a disaster. And um, they're three games out of the playoffs. And in case you had noticed, wild card teams get to the World Series all the time. It, it's not a prerequisite to get to the World Series to win your division. Like uh, the Phillies were the last seed, the last team in last year. They got hot and made it to the World Series. You don't have to go back real far. You don't have to be a big historian. Um, and so, you know, like even the even the Cardinals, they're they're playing terrible. They're only seven out. Like even the Rockies. They're playing terrible. They're only seven and a half games out the playoffs. All you got to do is win four, five. All you got to do is win five in a row, and you're and you're and you you pass up all kind of teams. Well, how they gonna win five in a row? Well, the Oakland A's just won five in a row on the road against teams over five hundred. It's baseball, but you just wonder. So, obviously, none of these situations are as dire as people are making them sound. But I just wonder, with the with the Mets, it just seems like a different dynamic. They put so much money, and, man, I there's so much pressure to win. I'm wondering how they're going to get through it. They're going to be a very interesting team to monitor down the stretch. Let's take a timeout. We'll be back. 
This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline is 337-706-0111-337-706-0111. Astros just completed a 17-day stretch where they didn't have a day off. 17 straight days with a game. And I think I'm pretty sure that was their longest. They have one other one that's pretty long, like 14 or 15 without a day off, but for a while there, it seemed like they were off every Thursday for like about five or six weeks, and then they haven't had a day off in 17. It was not a great 17-game stretch, but they went 9-8. and eight. I mean, it's not, it wasn't devastating. It just wasn't really good. Like, they went 9. They started out really well, finished terrible. But again, they avoided some uh, the sweep each time, and that kind of keeps you from really getting into a bad stretch. So now what they're looking at is coming home for a nine-game homestand after a day off today. Three with the Nationals. Man, I'm glad the Nationals won yesterday because they've been losing like crazy the Nationals. Never want to play a team on a losing streak ever, no matter what their record is. Ask the Braves and the Pirates. And the Brewers about that. Uh, then they're playing the Reds, who have the hottest young hitter in baseball, the Reds, this guy, Ellie De La Cruz. Like, he hits the ball 800 feet. That's what they say. So, I don't know. How to, and then they play the Mets. We were just talking about the Mets. After that, they have a 10-game road trip. The final four games of that 10-game road trip, I don't really like, I'd rather start the road trip with them. But the final four games, four games, right around 4th of July weekend, um, is at the Rangers. So, obviously, those are going to be critical games from here on out. And I don't really like that it's a four-game series, and I really don't like that it's the last four games of a 10-game road trip. But... We'll see how it plays out. Those games are always fun. But on paper, this year's Rangers-Astro games could be the most significant Ranger-Astro games ever. Because for the most part, the Rangers at first were really, really good, and the Astros weren't good, and then the Astros are really, really good, and the Rangers weren't so good. So a lot of these games, it's nice because it's the Rangers-Astros, but in the in the overall Major League Baseball picture, it hasn't been all that great. Well, these games could be really critical this year um, from here on out. So that, that'll that'll be fun, assuming the Astros are healthy enough to do something about it. We will see. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Well, good morning, my friend. Good morning. How are you? And, Kevin, yeah, I, I feel like I'm jet lag, like maybe I've been to Europe or something. You know, I've been on a three-week whirlwind tour, 
quit LSU baseball, went to Hoover, came home, came to the regional, went home for a couple of days, came back to the Super. So uh, I'm a little fatigued, but, man, I'm, uh, I'm very happy, very great experience. Hoover was very, you know, it was on my bucket list, you know. You watched for years. The Hoover experience is really, really cool because – our friends out campers. I didn't stay in the camp in Hoover, but the camper village is right. I mean, you walk three minutes and you you at the front gate, you know. So really cool. So Kevin, I want to tell you, I, I, I sat behind the plate for schemes the other night. Just so happened, some guy, you know, all the rain delays caused somebody to go home, somebody in laws or whatever. So a couple of us got behind the plate with this guy that somebody knew in the group. Kevin, wow. Uh, you know, I've been uh, lifelong involved in the game of baseball, and I've never seen anything like that, Kevin. Okay, so if he's that good, how can they not pick him number one? Because most people are saying Cruz is going number one. I cannot imagine Kevin, I think he's in by August or September. You know, whenever all these things happen, September, I think he could go to the big club and and pitch right now. Now, you know, I don't know about in what capacity, but he could pitch. So, so, so you're suggesting? Are you suggesting that he's as good or better than Strasburg was coming out of college? I just, yeah. Kevin, he's there's nothing that he doesn't have, and and you know he's a little more com, you know I mean he's six five two forty, but you know you don't have that. He's just he's just so efficient, and he, he to me he's the perfect pitcher. He, he's a guy, I you know I don't want to, he's kind of Verlanderish, you know he's just the. His motion, everything. He's got no, no hitch, no nothing. You know, it, it, he's he's pretty amazing. And, and one more thing, Dylan Cruz. You know, I mean, he went into this little slump. But when you watch this guy, every at bat, like the other night I was behind the plate, and yesterday, you know, he went. Oh, he walked four times yesterday, Kevin, before the top of the night when he delivered the coup de grace, the double. You know, to pretty much ice it. But he walked four times, but two or three of those times he was 0-2. And, and, you know, maybe one, two. Uh, it, it, he's an amazing guy, too. He's just, he's just got to, he's got to blow the, you know, clear the mechanism kind of guy. He, he, he's going to be an amazing guy, too. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's been an awesome three weeks. You know, I've tried to call you a couple of times, but I have very small windows. Yeah, I understand. I All right, well, we, we we appreciate it. Call back before once we get the whole feel, and we'll get your little thoughts on the World Series there. All right, Ken. Y'all All right, take care, man. Take care. No, I look. I I we didn't we didn't really have time, but I wanted to ask him, like, because you know he went to Hoover, and I, I don't. I thought at the time, and I don't think now, like going to Hoover and going 0 and 2 or 1 and 2, I, I think that's a almost a benefit. I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, uh, especially when you're sitting pretty like LSU was. But um, 
But no, it it was um, me. Okay, there's two ways of looking at it. There's probably, and I don't know the statistics, but it's probably a, a fairly significant less chance that the outfielder is going to get hurt than the infielder. Now, are there, I mean, than the pitcher, are there injured outfielders? Yes, Byron Buxton. A lot of people thought the Astros were going to take Byron Buxton the year they took Carlos Correa number one overall. And Byron Buxton, is he's on the I.L. right now. Got him on my fantasy team. That guy's always hurt. Like, he's always hurt. So just because you're an outfielder doesn't mean you don't get hurt. There are, there are plenty of injured outfielders. But pitchers tend to get hurt. We were just some of that more than like an everyday position. So I guess... I can uh, understand why someone would say, well, I'm going to take this. I'm going to take Cruz over Skeens because pitchers get hurt more often. But if Skeens is, and here we are, I'm about to compare him to Strasburg, who was really good, but now they're saying his career is over because he's hurt all the time, which kind of makes the point here. So I, I guess I get it, but man, if you have a chance to have a special pitcher, that's just what that's above. I mean, to me, you got to take the pitcher over the hitter in that situation. Even though, again, look at they're they're gonna come when they get closer to the draft, they're gonna be comparing him to Strasburg because he was like the best pitcher that anyone had ever seen in the draft when he came out, if you remember that. And it wasn't like he was a bad pitcher in the major leagues. I mean, he pitched well. He's just always hurt. I don't know. I think I'd pick Skeens over over Cruz. Although, to Manny's point, I love Cruz's plate discipline. That's incredible to have that at this age. But, man, I think I'd pick the pitcher over the hitter. But we'll see how that plays out. All right. We'll take a timeout. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. The little MVPs. The little MVPs. Now, a Major League Baseball team that struggles to win games despite having multiple MVP winners on its roster. Also known as the Los Angeles Angels. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnote, Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline is 706-0111, 706-0111. We talked college baseball. We talked a little bit about the NBA. Not much. If you have any thoughts on, you know, I don't, I don't even know if the Miami Heat fans believe that they're they're going to win. Now they really needed to win Game Four, and they didn't do it, and so. Uh, you know, I mean, to beat my to beat Denver twice in Denver, I, I just I don't see that happening. So, but certainly, if you want to talk about 
game five or anything to do with the NBA finals, certainly do that. It is going to, it is, I know we didn't get, you know, last week turned out to be so busy and so with so many huge far reaching stories like the, you know, the whole live golf PGA golf thing and all that. So, um, and still feels like it didn't feel like summer this week feels a little bit more like summer for me, but, um, uh, we talked a little bit about NBA coaches. We talked about some of the more two underrated coaches and, and the local tie that one of them had uh, and kind of, you know, my own thoughts, um, the, the ranking I finished up with, with a little bit that we dis- were able to discuss. It were, you know, we talked about Spolstra. If he would happen to come back and win, then I think you'd have to kind of maybe already put him in the top ten. But he, but I don't think that's going to happen. We can revise this, but right now, you know, from what you know, we have uh, Jackson and Arbach and Popovich. Uh, I'm a Pat Riley guy, but I think the talent that Popovich had compared to the talent Riley had, although coaching talent, there's a skill to that, and I think Riley was great at it. Uh, I'm okay with putting him fourth, even though eh, I still kind of partial to Riley as an old school Laker fan. But um, Kerr, just because of the titles, Daly, Larry, Billy Cunningham, Larry Brown, uh, Alex Hanum, and then Red Holzman. This week, we're going to talk about college football coaches. And I don't know. I guess I haven't made a decision yet, even though I've thought about it a little bit, whether we're going to make – let, let him be eligible. We'll just play that. We'll we'll see how that goes. Depends how obnoxious maybe the callers are when it comes to him, whether he's going to be eligible or not. You know, there's certain people. You know, 16 and 80 are never eligible on anything that I do. Um, and so uh, I don't know. We'll play it by ear whether whether Tucktail is going to be eligible to be discussed. But um, um, well, you can discuss him, I guess. But whether 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 he's eligible or not, we'll 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 play that by ear. But I think um, it's so comparing errors is interesting, and I think we're gonna really get into that um, in, in in college football with some of the other sports as the summer goes on, and and I think that uh, you know. For so long, again, my big criticism of college football coaches as you analyze them and peel back layers on them, especially in certain eras, is that so often – they they don't even have to show up. Like such a high percentage of their wins, they don't even need to be there and they're going to win the games. I mean, they're just there. But especially in this era of you scheduling all these cupcakes, um, you know, if you're a – once you reach a certain level of a program, the coach doesn't even really need to be there and you would win the game. Now, college baseball is just different. I mean – if you're a college baseball coach, I think we've seen enough evidence of that this year that, you know, even in a midweek game against a team, you know, LSU's quite a bit better than Nichols, but that doesn't mean Nichols can't beat them. I mean, that 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 some of that is just baseball. And so, 
I think a high percentage of the wins that most of the all-time, what we call all-time great coaches get, they, they don't even need to be there, and they would still win. The, this team would win the game. So I think a lot of them are overrated because they schedule so many victories, sure-shot victories. Yeah, but that's in any sport, I think. I mean, you talk it's about baseball, baseball, you get that many wins from the game itself and from the Piper, according to you. So I, I don't know. I, I would kind of push back on that. There's a plenty of basketball coaches that have wins before the season starts, and I mean, that's true. So I don't know. I, I don't know if I agree with that. That sentiment. You don't think? Look, a like 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 the way I put it. If you're a big time college football coach and coach a big time college football program, if you go eight and four, you probably went three and four. That was really your record, or maybe four and four. Well, but I was really your record. That so, year. but I would argue that's what you really were a five hundred coach. That's what separates the guys like Saban and the great coaches. Not now, I, I, Kirby Smart. Let's say they don't lose those games ever. Like they don't lose the they don't lose the they don't lose the the middle of the year game to South Carolina. Whereas the coaches that are in the second tier, every once in a while they lose one of those games. That's true. That's fair. All right, it's time. One hour down, another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber, the game hotline. 337-706-0111. If you would like to get in, we talked a little bit about the NBA. And again, I think most people think that is... You know, most people thought it was over at 2-1. I was like, let's let them win game three, and I mean game four, and get up 3-1 before you end the series. But now that the Nuggets are up 3-1, I think most of us feel like the Heat's great run is over. Um, some people are already, as I said, about an hour ago, kind of trying to, like, are they going to be a dynasty? I'm like, let's let them, let's let them, have to go through a medicine season first and see how they handle that uh, before we start talking dynasty. Uh, I've also heard the opinion that you can only give so much. I mean, they, if they win the title, they win the title. They got the trophy. Who cares what they think? You know, like if I'm a Denver Nugget fan, I remember we brought this point up, I don't know, three weeks ago, whenever it was that there has to be some guys out there like us, you know, as Saints fans or Astro fans or whatever, and and you've been following this team your whole life, and you've been waiting and waiting and waiting for decades to finally get to this point. And so if you're one of those people who cares what anyone says about your title or what's going to happen in the future? Just enjoy the, the, the accomplishment. Like, enjoy having the trophy. Doesn't matter how you got it. Doesn't matter who you beat. Doesn't matter what you're going to do next year. 
and what or what people think you're going to do next year from a from, from medicine season all the way to dynasty predictions like who cares just enjoy it now i don't know that there are any denver nugget fans in lafayette you think there's any i mean i maybe there's one or two i don't i don't know maybe somebody 30 something years ago when Kevin Brooks played for the Nuggets for a, for a spell, uh, became a Nuggets fan, and they're still a Nugget fan. I mean, I don't know. There might be a Denver Nugget fan out there, but but with all that said, there's some people that's saying that it's the least impressive run of any team. I've heard make the claim because they've essentially beat a bunch of play-in teams. I think that's a little unfair, but I've heard that argument. Um. But any thoughts you have on the NBA, certainly feel free to do that. College baseball, we're down to two teams trying to get into the College World Series field. Texas and Stunford and Southern Miss in Tennessee. Look, I I largely I paid attention to a lot of the comments about the long delays in bat in in the Baton Rouge in the well in the super regional between LSU and Kentucky, I don't have a strong opinion either way. It's, some of it seemed a little crazy, but again, I you know I I didn't I wasn't passionately upset or not upset either way. You know, I've totally stayed out of the whole the silliness between Tennessee and Southern Miss. All that off the off the field silliness. I mean, that you know what? I mean, I don't know. Just crazy. But I think it's going to be a good series if they get it played. Now, the sides. You know, one side of the College World Series field. Is pretty set. And what I'm trying to determine, and, you know, Dawson and I have talked about it a little bit uh, off the air, like, who's who do we think is the second best team? I think a lot of people think it's LSU, especially in these parts. And it may be, may very well be LSU, the second best team. I mean, I think most people feel like the best team is Wake Forest. So I don't really know. Again, if Wake Forest wasn't the number one seed, I'd be I'd be pretty confident that they had a great chance to win. But once again, the number one seed has not won the College World Series since Mike Ditka was coaching the Saints. That's a long time ago, y'all. A long time ago. When Mike Ditka was coaching the Saints. So, I can't, I can't, I mean, it's, I'm not saying it's the number one thing to consider, the players and the coaches and the, or the number one in the matchups, but I also can't get that out of my mind that they're a number one seed and it never seems to work out for the number one seed. 
And I don't know that you could argue they're the most dominant number one seed of the last 23 years. They're pretty good. The separation between them and the number four seed and the number five seed, or not seed, but whoever you think, between them and like 10, especially on, on the mound, seems pretty seems like a pretty big gap. But they don't just have good pitching numbers for the season. They hit, too. Like, they scored 22 runs, which is just silliness. But but they also almost got beat in the first game. They won by one run of the Super Regional to an okay Alabama team, but certainly not a great Alabama team. That Alabama Regional on paper was not overly tough. So... On paper. So it's um any thoughts you have about the World Series the World Series feel, it's it's lacking a couple and we hope that we find you know, when we reconvene tomorrow a little after nine o'clock, Lord willing, that that it was um that we know the feel and that the Southern Miss Tennessee game gets played one way or the other. Uh and the Stunford Texas game gets played one way or the other. So we kind of know the feel. You know, Virginia kind of has, to me, that same feel that they have in basketball. It's like they're really good, but they always seem to not get it done when it's really, really time to get it done. I mean, don't you have that same kind of feel about Virginia? I mean, it seemed like I kind of want to say Virginia might be that next best team, but I don't think they really are because they always seem to not get it done when they get to this. Like like Virginia basketball has this really good team, and then they play in the NCAA tournament, and they always seem to not get it done. And I think the, this baseball team's a little better, but we'll see if they get it done. Florida's another team that maybe – I'm sure in Florida circles, a lot of people are talking about them. But not, a, you know, I haven't heard as many people talking about them. So, that, you know, they might be the second best team behind Wake on paper in this deal. Florida. Maybe, they, may, may, maybe it's them. So to have Florida and Virginia on that side, it's pretty interesting to see how, how it plays out. And first, we again, again got to see what happens between, you know, with Texas, we said they have two really good starting pitchers, and their lineup is really good at times. But bullpen and depth pitching depth issues is their question. Well, that's fixing to get tested in the game three near the Pacific Ocean. Like that's fixing to get tested. We'll see if their pitching depth questions kind of rear its ugly head tonight. So um, those games are scheduled for like 6 and 7 o'clock. Is that it? The Southern Miss game is scheduled for 5, and I think our time in the Stanford game is scheduled for 7. So 5 and 7. I thought it was 6 and 7. Yeah, okay. but which is a weird because that means I guess it's, what, a 5 o'clock start in California? So – yeah, just some interesting scheduling there. I, I And so one of them's on ESPN2 and one of them's on ESPN. I guess. I don't know that for sure. But also, 
that weather is going to impact all that with right. Southern Miss. And I, I would imagine, uh, so yeah, Southern Miss is, is slated to be on ESPN2 at 5, and Texas Stanford slated to be on ESPN at 7. Um, but if that gets pushed back or moved around or anything like that, I'm sure the TV schedules, which that's been pretty fluid all week. Astros are off tonight, so man, those could really be good games. Like I could yeah. see the, both of those being really fun games. Yeah, definitely. Again, it's it's for Texas. I think you hit it there. Do they have enough pitching left? Um, and we'll see because um, they didn't really get too tested in the regional pitching wise because no. they had won the first games handedly, and then they just kind of pieced it together and they scored so much in the third game. So how does it look in a game three here against Stanford? We'll see on the road. And again, they've been doing a lot of traveling too. So, um, it it will. Uh, I know. I, I think both of these games very high probability of of, of, be, of being pretty good drama. Um, I wonder. I wonder if anyone in the NCA has any qualms like a lot of the fans do about how they've handled these weather delays or whether that's just something that fans are complaining about and the people in the college baseball coaching community in the NCAA really they don't they don't care about or I wonder or are they like well are we really doing this right and could you know any of that the standard for changing or the rules or the criteria they go by change for next year. Cause it seemed like we've had more of that this year than we normally have people really questioning, like what is going on here? Uh, you know, I, my best guess is it's going to, you know, once the games get played, no one's going to think about it and talk about it anymore. It's kind of what's done. It's done kind of thing. But you wonder if any anything happened that eh, maybe next year we'll do things a little differently here or not. But no, very good, very good matchups on paper to finish out the College World Series feel. Hopefully that happens tonight. Um, again, uh, it's June, so I don't want to talk too much football. I did bring up a little bit with the with the running back situation and how way kind of far down the line, how it could potentially impact the Saints, the whole idea that Dalvin Cook is out there waiting to see what he's going to do. And and Saquon Barkley is kind of not seeing eye to eye with the Giants and what's going to happen with him. And then what's going to happen with Z28? Like, you know, does any do any running backs, like, are teams going to – is everybody about to just totally devalue the running back? And if if that's really the way to go, then should Saints fans even be worried about whether Z28 plays or doesn't play or what they're going to do with him long term? Like, because all these teams seem totally convinced. All these analysts and all these teams and the decisions they make. I mean, they just cut Dalvin Cook in the prime of his career. And he's in a, I mean, 30 years ago, that would have never happened. I mean, it wouldn't have even been thought about. I don't even know if 20 years ago that would have. In the prime, like, why would you cut him in his prime? And then I saw some, again, it's just a suggestion. So we don't know what's going to happen. But, like, his possible replacement, someone suggested, is going to be Ezekiel Elliott. What? You're volunteering to have Ezekiel Elliott when you have Dalvin Cook? You're volunteering for that? That's a good idea? I don't I don't know. 
And maybe that's why the Saints just got rid of, you know, Latavius Merrill. Who needs a running back? Well, I sure seem like I needed a, my team needed a running back for the last two years. So I'm not just totally willing to just, oh, no, running backs are not important. I think Genius thinks he needs a running back to make Russell Wilson's offense work. So, I mean, I'd love for the Saints to get Dalvin Cook if they could figure it out. If not, I'm I'm all for him going to Denver because I, I am not ready to ditch on running backs. Not ready to do it. We'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Medicine season. Medicine season. Now. A season in which a college or professional sports team suffers a disappointing season due to injuries or fluky incidents, also known as paying the piper. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline, 337-706-0111, 337-706-0111. College baseball, NBA finals, Major League Baseball, whatever you'd like to. Or if you want to, on our first day, get start get things going on week two of our Footnotes Summer Project, college football coaches. I, we, we want to come up with what we think is the best 10 college football coaches. But also part of that is I like identifying two or three of the more underrated ones. And some of them may make the top 10 and may not. But uh, that that's kind of what we did last week. We I came up with two uh, really that stuck out to me as underrated in Larry Castello and Alex Hainum. So we want to come up with some of those historically underrated football coaches. But the Astros yesterday got shut out. And the starting pitcher in that game for the Cleveland Guardians is Shane Bieber. And people are suggesting that he is going to be one of the hot names about a month from now on the trade market. Now, if you're the Cleveland Guardians and you are one and a half game out of first place on June the, what is this, the 12th, why would you trade a good young pitcher? Like, I don't even understand that. Like, what? where is this coming from? Like, what the Cleveland... It's just going to say, well, we're going to tank. They're a game and a half out of first place. They've been making the playoffs. Like, I don't I don't get that at all. By the way, just a side note before we go to the uh, game hotline. They're in the central division of the American League, the Guardians. There's only one team in that division with a plus run differential right now. 
and that's the Twins. The Twins are plus 40. The Twins are, I mean, the the Guardians are second at minus 18. You say, well, that's terrible. That's one of three divisions that are like that right now. I didn't realize until I just kind of stumbled across that. There are three divisions in Major League Baseball right now where only one team has a plus run differential. Out of th- that's 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 pop on. Let's go to the yeah. game hotline. Hello, Kevin. I, I hate to be a hog, man, but I you know I want to touch uh, upon the the whole fan experience the, the Saturday thing. When we arrived Friday, it was talking you know, at the little camp of village that Jay Johnson said we were we were not going to play the game if it's going to be interrupted. So of course I said. Jay Johnson's got, you know, he, he NCAA controls that. Well, then I read it on in print on Twitter or whatever. So, man, I, you know, it all went back and forth. And then that morning somebody said, hey, we clean, don't rush. We're not, gonna, we're not playing at 2 o'clock. And, you know, I was like, come on. I mean, this, Kevin, this, this is white puffy clouds. And the explanation was given later. I read yesterday. A batch of lightning that was predicted to move in by 3 p.m. So, and Jay Johnson said, well, we had a great relationship with the representative who was running the tournament. Same person who ran it last week for the regional. So, you tend to think, now, you know, Jay Johnson and the Kentucky coach are buddies. You know, it's one of his best friends in the coaching, in, in you know, in his coaching profession. So, you tend to think that, you know, there was a lot more input because there was no, there was nothing at two o'clock. Everybody was laughing whenever we were driving up and telling people that were walking up, hey, delay, and they were laughing. Ah, you know. Now, now, yeah. no, no, I, I get what you're saying, but here's what I'm thinking. I understand how good Skeens is, and I understand you don't want to start Skeens, but no team wants to start their starting pitcher and then lose them. No, because Kentucky didn't want to either. That guy right. was pissed, even though he got smashed. Zach Lee was there. You know, they didn't want to lose him either. So, no, nobody does. And, but it was a little strange because I tell you what, when it all happened, we all, you know, everybody's a meteorologist. Okay, we all got our phones. There was a, there was a thunderstorm in New Iberia, and there was one north in uh, uh, Natchez. I don't even know if it was in Louisiana. So, I, you know, once again, no, they don't. And I want to say one more thing, y'all. I don't like uh, tend to think. You know, there's a lot of talk about the boxes. Right. 
Uh, but yeah, it, it, it was really cool Saturday night to see twelve thousand people that were because they were they were lubricated, of course, you know. Yeah, but, no, I understand. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the all right, really, Manny. It really came through. Yes, you know, I really, I will say, and a lot of players said that, you know, in on Twitter, in the paper, whatever. Right. That they were just they were energized, you know. So it, it was pretty cool. All right, guys, I'll talk to y'all later. All right, thank you. No, again, I. I know some people are very, very emotional about that subject, and I don't. I'm not saying you're wrong to be. I just, I just don't have a real strong opinion about it. I don't. I don't think any pit team wants to start their starting pitcher and lose him. Now, again, no one else has schemes. We get that, but I don't think any team wants to start and then all lose your starting pitcher. Yeah, I have a problem though with the idea that. Like, and look, you can say it's it's very clear that the coaches, and whether it was Jay Johnson or both, you know, Kentucky's coach included on that as well, it's very clear they had an impact on this decision, and I don't think that should be the case. I think this should be completely up to the NCAA and the officials, and maybe you get people who know about weather involved as well. But the fact that, again, you, you made people, if you're going to, another thing too, if you had this whole idea about the window that in which the game could have been played, then the call should have been made at 8 in the morning. Like, I don't understand. Right. The only thing you... I don't get, and I guess TVs is the reason. Like, the only thing, like, when I was in Miami, I'm like, well, if it's going to if it's gonna start raining or lightning at 2 o'clock, then play the game at 10 a.m. and get it in. Yeah. And, and it's, it's like we do that in regular season games, but because of TV, they don't do that, I, I guess, because of TV. Now, let me ask you this, though, and I don't know this, but what are the chances that these represent, NCAA representatives are former baseball coaches who will think like a baseball coach thinks? Yeah, I mean, no, it's it's certainly possible. Yeah, and I, don't, I think a lot of them are former baseball coaches. So but, they're going to think like a baseball coach thinks. And, like, again, now, if you have something that is imminent, like a storm within within an hour or within, that's going to get and, – and they're going – and the weather people and stuff are going, look, I know we're going to try and start this game at 2, but by 2.45 it's going to be soaked. Then I get it. But the idea that they were just trying to project two and a half, three hours ahead in Louisiana where the yeah. weather is – No, I is, get that. Because like, the, the truth six, of it's fair because both teams have the same yeah, situation. Yeah, I think you play, you play the game and if you get six innings in and you have to have a delay, then, oh, well, I'm sorry. And if it happens in the third inning but you didn't see it coming, like – Guess what? That could have happened at nine o'clock when they did start the game. Like you were never going to one hundred percent know. So I just, yeah, I struggled with it. But again, like it all worked out. But it almost didn't. And then you'd have been playing a doubleheader. And then if you're, all these coaches who were trying to do it in their team's best benefit, you'd have been in a worse situation if you wouldn't have played the game at all and you had to play a doubleheader. Nobody would have been happy about that. So I just thought it was. I, I wasn't a fan of the way it was handled. But it didn't. It worked out in the end. And they got all three games in, and and we don't have to really worry about it. But again, we talk about we're just talking about based on results. I think we're now saying, oh, it's not a big deal because it didn't end up being a problem. But it was right. very close. It like could have been that window that they played the game as far as, and I'm not talking about rain, but I'm talking about like the end of the night. They they got pretty close on it starting that game at nine oh six whenever they finally did. So again, I, I I'm I get both sides. I get both arguments. I um, but I don't. I kind of don't think Kentucky was beating LSU no matter how the scenario played out. You know, we a lot of us talked about it or made the comment when the when the brackets originally came out that LSU had a really really good draw. I mean, I think Oregon State was their biggest obstacle to get to Omaha. It wasn't Kentucky, but 
That's the way it goes. We'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. If you would like to get in, talk quite a bit of college baseball today, some major leagues, a little bit about the NBA Finals. I want to get back to um, just some of the craziness because we haven't talked a lot about this stuff because, again, we don't ever look – at the standings in the major leagues until June the 1st, which happened to be because of going to Miami May 31st, a day earlier than normal this year. But the Astros, after yesterday's shutout loss in Cleveland, the Astros are 37-29. and 29. The Marlins... Or 37 and 29 with the same record. The Marlins have scored have scored 32 fewer runs than the Astros and given up 43 more runs for a run differential of minus 20. The Astros don't have a tremendous one run differential, but it's pretty good. It's plus 55. That is um, third in the American League in run differential, plus 55. And yet they have the same record as the Marlins, who have a minus 20 run differential. Just kind of strange. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't even out every year. It doesn't. Some years... You just have these weird teams like the Florida Marlins are off to, and they're weird all year. Buck Showalter managed a Baltimore Oriole team, I don't remember, seven or eight years ago maybe now, that was like this. Like they they had a pretty good year, and it was just they just kept winning one-run game after one-run game after one-run game. And the next year I'm like, they, 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 you can't continue to. You can't continue to keep winning all these one-run games. Just like Cajun football were like – over those two-year period, they were unbelievable in one-score games. And I'm like, this ju- it just can't continue. And, of course, last year they were 0-4 in one-score games. I mean, you just can't keep doing that. Um, the Piper gets you. But it's um, it's just strange. And you hope as an Astro fan that that kind of even starts to even out. But got to do you got to do you know the bull the bullpen is what makes that even out and they've got it's got to get a little better than it's been of late and you kind of trust that it will all right let's go to the game hotline hello yeah uh, you said this week it's what college football coaches all right frank kush boy he is um certainly uh, a um an interesting f- figure for sure and probably is underrated it's just his reputation is so bad but that doesn't mean he wasn't a really good coach what about bill mccartney 
for the Buffalo. You know, you want another one, very controversial. Now, most of his controversy came out after he retired, not while he was there. Uh, Like, Cush is one of those old school guys who was a mean, considered a mean coach. But no, I think McCartney had a had a had a huge uh, stretch there of success at a school that Dion is now trying to make successful, but that has never really been successful. Think about the '94 team. I know '94 um, football. Uh, I know Penn State uh, was kind of know well the format that was at the time. You know, uh, they're kind of tied into the Rose Bowl, but. That team kind of fell slated, uh, slighted. Um, Colorado, like I said, I, the, the Colorado, I think they lost. Well, Colorado lost to Nebraska that year, so Nebraska was a champion. So, but that was a loaded team. Uh, that team that beat Notre Dame on the um, Rocket Ishmael. Um, that was a great team, man. No, they were. And look, that uh, Nebraska were- team was really good. So, in most of the years, they would have been there. Yeah. Uh, Hey, what about the coach at You know, we talk, <laughs> that's why I like talking to you. Hey, last week I, I couldn't get in, man. It's been, a, been some personal tragedies, man. Uh, but I, matter of fact, I was in Hattiesburg this week, this weekend for a funeral. Um, and uh, I, I was just talking to my family members, my cousins. They were saying some of them tickets were going for 380 <laughs> Man. <laughs> to the game, man. Uh, just sitting in, uh, yeah, they were just saying it was that, was that type of atmosphere. Uh, they, they, you know, they're very excited. Uh, of course, they won't Southern Miss to win. But uh, what about the coach in Washington? Well, he won a title. Uh, what's that? Half? No. Uh, Talking about Don James? Yeah, Don James. Yeah, yeah. he's a legend up there. I, I do think historically. Do you look at him as underrated? Yes, I agree. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, I need to do a little more research on him, but but my perception of him is, yes, that he's underrated. Because, again, you know, not only is he in the Pac-12, he's from Asia, like I like to joke. And so, you know, they don't get a lot of publicity from up there. So, But I agree with you, yes. Yeah, it doesn't need to, man. Uh, your basketball, uh, I didn't hear your list uh, from last week, but uh, Rick Alderman, he didn't make it, though, right? Who's that? Uh, Rick Alderman? No. We discussed him, but yeah, he, he just did just didn't win enough games. Lenny Wilkins, he didn't make it. He was discussed too, but he did not. Now, what Lenny Wilkins is is he's on the list of the the closest combination of how good of a player you were to how good of a coach you were. Like a lot of great coaches, great players don't become great coaches, but he's he's on the short list of players who was a really good player and a really good coach. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. No, Adelman was, you know, he's he was certainly was good. He won over a thousand games, had a fifty-eight winning percentage, uh, five eighty-two in the playoffs. He was only one game over five hundred. So uh, I, I don't know that he won enough playoff games to be ahead of you know guys like Billy Cunningham or um, Red Holtzman, who was sixteen over in in um, in playoff games. Or Hainum, who was 15 over in playoff games, uh, but no, he certainly would uh, to be to be considered. Lenny Wilkins, since Jay brought him up, is a uh, Lenny Wilkins. He was 18 under in playoff games. So I, and again, we're just 
do we know all the circumstances of all those? Of course not. We did. We didn't go that deep into it. But but he's a guy who was a coach of the year. He won an NBA title. But in terms of putting him in the top ten, he he just he was eighteen under in all time playoff wins. So I wouldn't quite put him at that level. But no, I I don't. You know, Pat Lenny Wilkins was. I'm trying to see who was the best coach. Probably Billy Cunningham. We talked about him quite a bit. Cunningham was probably, you know, Steve Kerr was a good player, but he was more of a complimentary player. Larry Brown was a good player, but more of a complimentary player. I guess Steve Kerr, Pat Riley was an okay player. He was more of a complimentary player. Like Phil Jackson wasn't a great player, but he was like a big guy. He'd get some rebounds, get some steals, play some defense. So he was a good player, but not a great player. Probably Cunningham is was the best and maybe even Steve Kerr although Steve Kerr was a complimentary player too he was just a three-point shooter on some really good teams um of all these guys like Doug Moe was probably in that same category but Lenny Wilkins might have been I'd have to go back and look at how many points he scored in all but he might have been the best player combination of that was a a coach to consider for one of the all-time great coaches that was actually the best player McHale I don't know how good of a coach he was though Rudy T was a pretty good player and he won two titles he he might be the answer to Jerry Sloan was a really good player not a star but a really good player and he didn't win titles but he won a lot of games um, you know, he won 60% of his games and had over 1,200 wins, Jerry Sloan. And he was – I would have to. I, I don't know enough about his stats and Lenny Wilkins' stats. I'd have to go back and look that up. But they were both above-average players. They weren't just average. They, were, they weren't stars, but they were above-average players. So that, 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 that's another interesting um, – Doc Rivers maybe? Doc Rivers was an above-average player, and he's got a ton of wins. Now, again, he's got maybe some people would consider more losses than he should, but he's got a ton of wins, and he's above 500 as a, in the playoffs as a coach. So he would be in that discussion to Doc Rivers with um, Lenny Wilkins and, and, uh, and Jerry Sloan and uh, Billy Cunningham, Casey Jones. Now again, that was before my time, but he was a he was not a star, but he was a functionally good player and a starter on a championship team. So uh and he won quite, you know, he won a lot. You know, Casey Jones might be one of the ones that we didn't give enough credit to. He's uh he was 20 over in the playoffs his winning percentage and won two NBA titles. He's another one to like that, who could be a guy who was a really, really good player, although maybe not a star, but still a really good player and a very good, successful coach. It's hard for me to give too much credit for the Celtics, but we we certainly will mention him. And uh, he might have been one who slipped through, might, might not have given quite enough credit to. We'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you ever wonder what kind of coach Foot would have been? When they hit it to you and you're in the major leagues, you catch the ball. That's the way that works. Yeah. 
he may be better suited for talking sports than coaching them. Back to footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. You know, sometimes you hear the statement, that's baseball. Here's, I, I love this. This is a, <clears throat> a statement that's a perfect that's baseball statement. Guess who has the longest winning streak currently in Major League Baseball? The Oakland A's, the team with the worst record in the league. Their record is 17 and 50. And they have the they've won five in a row. That's currently the longest streak. Actually tied with the Diamondbacks, but still, it's the long no one's got a longer winning streak in Major League Baseball right now than the team with the worst record, the Oakland A's. You know, that that's just that's a perfect baseball thing. Cause you just any no matter how good you are. Or no matter how bad you are, even if you look like you're about to be historically bad, like maybe this Oakland A's team, anybody can, any team, you're going to have stretches where you're playing great and you're going to have stretches where you play terrible. And, 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 and I guess you get a little bit of that in basketball, but not like it is in baseball. It's just um, you just have to get through it. And not overly panic when you go through the bad stretches. But no, I think I thought that was that's classic stuff. The longest winning streak in Major League Baseball right now is held by the Oakland A's, who have 17 wins for the whole season. Before this win streak started, they were 12 and 50. And it was done on the road, which for them it's probably easier to play on the road because playing at home is kind of a slap in the face, I guess, right now for them. So what a strange dynamic they have, but that's just really cool. All right, so we'll wait and see. We talked quite a bit about the weather. We'll wait and see if they get the games in. Um, but again, on paper, could be two really fun super regional game threes to decide who go, who fills out the final two spots in the field for Omaha, so that we'll have that tonight. Astros are off tonight, first time in 18 days that they're off, so that that's nice. And then they open up a nine-game homestand tomorrow against the Nationals, who finally won a game yesterday, but before that they had lost like six or seven in a row. So I I don't really like playing teams that are that have really been losing a lot of games. That's not good. But at least they won yesterday. I'd really be worried if they had lost like seven or eight in a row coming into this. That 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 is a bad break to play a team that's lost that many games in a row. But uh, they at least won one game yesterday. So we'll see. if Hopefully they got that out of their system a little bit. And the Astros can, I don't know, figure out a way to hit at home. I was just telling Dawson off the air, the Rangers have scored 100 and two more runs than the Astros to, to date. 102 more runs. And the main reason why that is is when the Astros play at home, they just don't score enough runs. To me, they score enough runs on the road to win. And they and the Astros are uh, they're four games over at home, and they're four games over on the road. 
which is it's good to be a good road team, and they've been a good road team for a long time now. In fact, I, I would think, I, I don't have the stat in front of me, but over the last six years, I'd say they they got to have the best road record in baseball. Or if they're not, it got I can't believe they're not in the top two or three because they've won a lot of road games. And they, pl- they typically play better on the road. So they've got to start figuring out a way to score more runs at home. Jose Abreu, if you didn't pay attention, over the weekend hit two home runs over the weekend in Cleveland. And he also hit a home run foul that he just absolutely crushed and turned and turned on that a little too much, but it, it would have been. It would have been way out of the ballpark to left field, which he hadn't been doing. He hadn't been, he hasn't been pulling the ball. Everything that he hits hard has been the center field. So hopefully that's a sign that he's waking up. And hopefully, what would be a really good sign for me in this next series or this next homestand is that he hits like multiple home runs in the Crawford boxes. What good does it be that big and strong and right-handed you can't hit a ball in the Crawford boxes? All you got to do is hit a pretty good fly ball to left and it's a home run. Cat, figure it out. Figure it out. Now, I love the fact that he can hit the right field. I love right-handed hitters that hit the ball to right field. But how hard can it be once every 10 games? That's not asking too much. Once every 10 games, you should be able to hit one ball 330 feet into the Crawford boxes. You should be able to do it for more than that. But at least once every 10 games, he's done it zero times. He has the same amount of Crawford box home runs this year that I have. The same amount, zero so it's time. In this homestand, he better hit at least one and hopefully two in the Crawford boxes. It's not that hard. Now, pitchers, I know, are trying to keep you from doing it, but there's no reason why he should have zero on the whole season so far. It's time to hit a ball home run in the Crawford boxes. It's not that difficult. Just do it. I think he'll do it this week. I hope you're right. I'm hoping for two. That's my goal. Y'all have a nice day.